0: This show contains descriptions of violent crimes and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Isabel Eriksson wakes up confused and doesn't know where she is. Next to the bed she is lying on sits a man. He is staring at her, and when she asks him where she is, he tells her that she's in a soundproof bunker, and that he is planning to keep her there for a couple of years or so. This is the chilling story of Isabel's kidnapping and escape. Welcome to True Crime Sweden. I am your host, Pernilla, or as I say in Swedish, Pernilla. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being so patient about me releasing a new episode. When I started the podcast, I was between jobs and I had about all the time in the world to research, record, and edit. And about three months ago, I started a new job. And that job is taking up all of my time and my energy right now. It will get better as soon as I'm more settled in on my new workplace, I guess. But for now, it's probably going to be a few weeks between episodes. And I hope that you, as a listener, are willing to accept that for now. I think the research part of the podcast is so important that I don't want to do a sloppy job just to get another episode out. I want you all to know that I love doing the podcast. I love the research, the cases, and most of all, I love to hear your thoughts on the cases. So if you haven't yet, please join the True Crime Sweden discussion group on Facebook. I'd love to see you there. And while you're waiting for me to put up a new episode, I can recommend that you try out one of the following podcasts if you haven't already. First of all, I want to recommend Canadian True Crime. The host, Christy, does an amazing job telling interesting stories without going into gory details. It's a one-woman show, just like mine, and one of my absolute favorites. The next recommendation is to check out True Crime Island, hosted by one of my favorite podcasters, Cambo. And if you're into Scandinavian true crimes, you have to check out True Crime Finland, that is hosted by Minna. She tells really interesting stories from my neighboring country, Finland. A new podcast popped up, and I tried it, and I really liked it. It's called Nordic True Crime. And they bring up stories from the Nordic countries. I've only listened to a couple of episodes so far, but I really like it, so try it out. And you also have to check out Murder Mile Podcast, hosted by Michael. Murder Mile Podcast has actually been nominated to Best True Crime Podcast at the British Podcast Awards 2018. I really hope you win, Michael. You deserve it. So now you have a few new shows to check out while you're waiting for me to drop my next episode. And as you heard in the beginning, I'm trying out some new music for the podcast. It's the talented Nico from We Talk of Dreams who made the intro, especially for True Crime Sweden, and I love it. I hope you do too. You can check him out at wetalkofdreams.com But now it's time to get into today's case, about Isabel who was kidnapped and locked into a bunker by a doctor who thought this was a good idea on how to get a girlfriend. But let me start by telling you a little bit about Isabel and her background. Most of the research for this episode comes from Isabel's book. The book is called You Are Mine. Drugged and Held in a Secret Bunker by Isabel Eriksson. I would put a link to where you can find it in the show notes. I can really recommend this book. It's of course also available in Swedish, and then it's called I Bunkerläkarens Våld. Isabel Eriksson is born in the small town of Uddevalla, about 30 years before this all takes place. Uddevala is located a short distance north of Gothenburg on the Swedish west coast. Isabella grew up with a mother, a father, and a big sister in a large house with a big garden. She says that she had a wonderful and loving upbringing. She was shy in school, mostly because she didn't like the way she looked in her big glasses. But when she was 16, she changed the glasses into contacts and became more confident about herself. Her two big role models during her school years was Swedish horse show jumper Marlin Bayard and the other one was Paris Hilton. She had a really big interest in horses and Marlin Bayard was really successful and even competed in the Olympics. And the other role model slash idol, Paris Hilton, caught her attention as she wanted all the luxury, the traveling, and the fantastic life that Paris Hilton seemed to live. This was probably laying out the groundwork for Isabel's dreams about making a lot of money and being able to live the same kind of life that Paris Hilton was having, with beautiful things and expensive bags. Isabel tells in her book that at that time in her life, during her teenage years, she couldn't ever have imagined that she ten years later would be at the after party of the Cannes Film Festival and there she would meet both Paris Hilton and also Leonardo DiCaprio. But she did. But back to Isabel's teenage years. When it was time for Isabel to choose her direction of studies going into her high school years, she chose the thing she loved most animals. So she started taking classes in that field. But learning about different diseases cows can get and so on didn't quite add up with her dreams about having money, living the life with beautiful things, and the possibility to travel. So she started to cut classes, and somehow she managed to get away with it. In hindsight, she should have just changed schools and gone off to study business or marketing or something like that, but she didn't. Instead, she dropped out of school with only six months to go. And she just stayed home, watching television, and going out in the weekends to the only nightclub in the area. Isabel also talks about that she lost her virginity when she was 16 to a guy who was two years older. The first time it really hurt, she says, but the second and third time she realized what all the fuss about sex was all about. She realized that she really liked sex and that she really liked it a lot. At this time in her life, She got a job at a cafe, and in the beginning, she only worked daytime. But then she started to also work nights and weekends, and she didn't like that because it made her miss out on a lot of fun that her friends did. And also, the pay wasn't good enough, she thought. She didn't like her job, and she wasn't putting a lot of effort to be good at it. And that finally got her kicked out of there. She started to look for other jobs, but she didn't have any real education. But she tried jobs as a cleaner, a care worker, product demonstrator in stores. But none of the jobs lasted for very long. At that time in her life, she says, it never crossed her mind to work as a stripper or something like that. She loved sex and was liberated when it comes to those things. But still, it wasn't anything she ever thought about doing. She says that the way she viewed strippers and sex workers was that they were either addicted to drugs and had to do it for that reason, or they were drawn into it by other people or circumstances that were out of their control. Nobody would ever do that kind of thing if they had a choice, she thought. when she was 19, she met a guy that she fell head over heels in love with. He worked as a builder, and Isabel kept on having short-term odd jobs. And when they had been together for about two years, Isabel told him that she wanted to get out of the small town of Uddevalla. The world was calling for her. And to her big surprise, he agreed with her, and they booked a trip to Australia. You were at that time able to get a one-year visa if you were under the age of 30. You could then combine a holiday with also working in Australia. But they soon found out that the jobs available for foreign backpackers were badly paid, so they instead spent their days at the beach and cooking for themselves at night to save money. But they also realized that their money wouldn't last forever. And then one day, Isabel was looking through the job ads in the Backpackers magazine, and she found this ad for a gentleman's club, advertising for girls. The ad said that the job was a perfect opportunity for attractive, charming girls who wanted to earn really good money while still choosing what hours you worked. This all sounded really appealing to Isabel, and when she talked to other people around them, She found that there seemed to be a much more relaxed attitude towards this type of job here than what she was used to back in Sweden. She called the number in the ad, and after a short interview that consisted of them asking her when she could start, she had a new job. Her boyfriend didn't like this at all, and he threatened her with breaking up with her if she went to work at that gentleman's club. But their relationship had been going downhills even before this, and as Isabel herself puts it, I've never reacted well to ultimatums, so that was it. The first night Isabel went to start her new job, she was terrified. She thought about just not showing up, but then again, she really needed the money. She thought about what would happen if she really hated it, hated the other girls, and hated the customers. But then again, she could always walk out of there if she did, and no one at home would ever find out about her doing this. So finally, she went in. And she was a little surprised by how classy the place appeared. The red curtains, the lightning... It was all well thought out, and not tacky at all. This place was one of the most popular gentlemen's clubs in Melbourne, and there were a lot of people in the club. But there were also a lot of bouncers working the floor, and making her feel really safe. All the other girls were super nice to her, and they were very, very attractive and she was taken care of by another girl that first night. That girl told her to watch some of the other girls' performances on stage and then just do something similar. She was supposed to go up on stage and dance in a sexy way, wearing only lingerie. But it wasn't on stage that you made your money. You were then supposed to walk around in the club, wearing a sexy dress, and sell private dances, and the money for the private dances were all yours to keep. Isabel says that it was really easy for her to sell private dances. As soon as she mentioned that she was from Sweden, it was a done deal. The myth about the Swedish sin was quite strong in Australia. Isabel also says that all of private dances took place upstairs in small booths. But there were no doors, and the bouncers were walking back and forth, making sure that nothing happened. So there were never any sex involved. She was dancing and stripping for the customer, but nothing else. She did this line of work for some time, working at night and hanging out on the beach during the days. But eventually, she had to return to Sweden due to her visa expiring. When she returned to Sweden, she eventually continued to work as a stripper in some of the clubs in Gothenburg. But it wasn't as easy as it had been in Australia, in Gothenburg. She always had a fear of someone she knew walking into the club. And the clubs were not so classy as they had been in Australia. And when winter came she decided to head over to what she now considered her other home country, Australia. This time she went to Sydney instead of Melbourne, She was now 23 years old and traveled alone. She was soon back in the old rhythm with work at night, sunshine and swimming during the day. The difference this time was that she stayed at high-class hotels instead of the hostels she stayed at before. One day she was sitting in the outside lounge in the hotel having a coffee when she saw an incredibly beautiful woman sitting a few tables away. The woman had long, shiny hair, a perfect tan, and a perfect makeup. She was a bit provocatively dressed, but she still looked stunning, and she acted like she owned the place. This really caught Isabel's attention, and she decided to go over and talk to the woman. She says in her book, that at this time she was so used to starting up conversations with strangers due to her work at the strip club, so it only felt natural. She ordered a glass of white wine, and they started to talk. After a few minutes, they were chatting away like they had known each other forever. The woman told Isabel that she also used to work as a stripper, but that she now had found a much better way to make money. I know work is an escort, the woman said. Isabel knew that what she was actually telling her was that she had sex for money. But the woman made it sound so easy. You only spend a couple of hours with a client, and you make more money than you would do during a ten-hour shift at the strip club. The woman went on to tell her that it wasn't at all only about the sex. She was often asked to accompany men to business dinners, a party, or something like that. Can you imagine getting paid for eating a three-course meal in a luxury restaurant, she said. Isabel was still very skeptic to this whole thing. But then the woman said something that made her change her mind. She said, I have a lot of regular customers. You're welcome to join me and meet one of them. And Isabel agreed to do that. And that is how a whole new part of Isabel's life got started. Isabel continued to work as an escort for several years. During the summers, she was working from Stockholm, and during the winters, she went back to Australia and eventually moved on to New York and later Miami. But finally, she ended up in Sweden, in an apartment in Stockholm, and continued working as an escort. There were only a handful of people who knew what she was doing. Most of the time, she told people she worked as a makeup artist. In 2014, Isabel met a man, a carpenter, and they started dating. He lived in her old hometown of Uddevalla and she kept going back to Stockholm during the weeks to work and spending the weekends with him in Uddevalla. He also thought she was working as a makeup artist. She bought a small dog, it's called a Toy Poodle, and she named it her Nelly. But even though it on the surface looked like she was finally settling down, She still wasn't happy with the situation. She ended up breaking up with the boyfriend and going back to the US with a girlfriend of hers during the summer of 2015. During the fall of 2015, she picked up her old plans about studying in the US and applied to a college in California. She was just going to have a few more clients before she started her new life. Before I get into the events of that night that Isabel was kidnapped I just want to address the fact that she worked as an escort. I've now given you the background on how Isabel ended up having the profession that she did. A young woman wanting more in life than the regular 9 to 5 job and husband and kids. She wanted to travel and experience things on the way. You might not agree with her choices and the way her life turned out. I might not agree with them either, but I just want to make one thing clear here. That no matter how you choose to live your life and what decisions you make, nobody deserves to go through what Isabel had to go through. With that said, let's get into the events that led up to that fatal night. (music) All started on Thursday, September 10th, 2015, when Isabel had booked a client for a date. The client was an American man who worked as a stockbroker and who had lived in London for a long time. This weekend he was spending in Stockholm and he was now looking for some company. This was kind of the typical customer that Isabel had a wealthy man who wanted some sex and company to a business dinner. They met on that Thursday night, and he arrived on time, dressed in an expensive suit, and he smelled good. He asked her almost right away if she would be able to accompany him to a business dinner that same Saturday. All his Swedish colleagues would be there with their wives, and he didn't want to be the only one without a date. They talked for a while and he gave a very good impression. He was intellectual and he was calm and collected and he talked slowly as though he was thinking about what to say before he spoke. He started to make plans for that Saturday, telling her that dinner was at 9pm and that he wanted to come to her place at about 6pm. He would bring a small bottle of champagne and something to snack on. That would put them in the right mood before dinner, without risking that they become too tipsy. And after that, his hand started wandering up Isabel's thigh, and she realized that he had had enough of the talking and wanted some action. They moved over to the bedroom and started to undress. As soon as he had taken his underpants off, She noticed a small lump at the base of his penis. She asked him what it was, because that was something she learned right away in this profession, that you had to be careful about diseases and pay attention if something looked weird. He says something about it being an injury from his military years, and she doesn't think it looks like an STD, so they continued to get intimate. Of course, She demands that he uses a condom during sex. Isabel says in her book that this is the first time that she all of a sudden felt uncomfortable with this hot, wealthy, calm American. The reason that she started to feel uncomfortable was that during the whole sex act, he kept staring right into her eyes. Not just looking, he was staring. And she remembered thinking to herself that these are the eyes of a psychopath. She describes that the way he stared at her made her feel more exposed than she had ever felt with a client before this. Before he leaves that night, he gives her a lot of compliments and he acts again as the perfect gentleman. She says that the uneasy feeling she got during the sex, that feeling went away when he was acting normal again. He leaves, and he says he'll be back on Saturday at 6 p.m. Isabella decides to take the next day off. She contacts a good friend of hers, a police officer, and she makes plans for the next day with him. They agreed to spend Friday night at her place drinking wine, watching a movie, and just catch-up. Unfortunately, the police friend had to cancel the next day, and instead, Isabel went on a Tinder date. And the planned meeting with the police friend was rescheduled to Tuesday instead. On Saturday, September 12th, 2015, Isabel took her poodle Nellie for a walk in the close by park. It was a lovely fall day, and she actually looked forward to meeting the handsome American stockbroker that night. On the way home from the walk, she gets a call from an unknown number. It's the American checking in if they are still on for the night. He also asks her if it would be okay to stay at her place that night instead of in his hotel, because the restaurant is really close to her apartment. She agrees to this, actually liking this plan better, because it means that her dog Nellie doesn't have to be alone for so long. She had planned to wear her blue dress. It was perfect for the occasion. It's sexy, but classy it's short but not too short she had cleaned the apartment bought some flowers lighted some candles and put on a soft soothing music in the background he turns up at about 10 minutes after six and he is again dressed in a perfect fitting suit and looks really handsome he gives isabel a small gift it contains an expensive perfume and he also gives her some white and pink flowers that he says that he picked himself. She gets really moved by this gesture and she tells him so. Then he hands her the envelope containing her fee for the night. 16,000 Swedish kroner. that's about 1600 US dollars. She puts the envelope away And they continue into the living room. He gives her a box containing chocolate dipped strawberries, and she puts it in the fridge. And while they're talking, she struggles to try to identify his American accent. Maybe he lived in London for so long that his accent got affected by the British English. They sip on the champagne and he tell her about the stock market and what investments that might be good. On his phone, he also shows her different exclusive escort websites, located in London, and suggests that she should go there to work. She tries to ask him about his Swedish colleagues that are going to be at the dinner that night, but he doesn't want to talk about them at all. After a while, she asks him if they should have a story about how they met, so that they say the same thing if someone asks. But he again shrugs it off, and he doesn't want to talk about it. It's now 8 p.m., and he suggests that they get the chocolate-dipped strawberries from the fridge and rest a bit on her bed. They lay down and he picks up a strawberry and feeds it to her. He eats a few himself, but most of them he feeds to Isabel. She is thinking about feeding him a strawberry, but realizes that she's all of a sudden too tired to do that. He asks her if she's tired, and she says yes. Me too, he says. And pats himself on the chest and says put your head here and she does and she's out <laughs> when she comes around it feels like she's moving is she sitting up for a couple of seconds she realizes that she's in a car with her dog nelly in her lap and she's wrapped in a duvet what's going on and then she blacks out again when she comes to the next time she is standing up She's barefoot, and the floor is cold. The American is standing in front of her, and she asks him what is going on. Who are you? Why is it so cold? He answers that his name is Martin. He tells her that she shouldn't be standing up yet. She should lay down and get some rest. He sounds like a doctor. He is a doctor. And he speaks Swedish. What have you done to me? Isabel asks. You cannot keep me here. You have to let me go. He says, No. Sorry. He continues. It took longer than planned to get you unconscious. I'm planning to keep you here for a couple of years or so. Isabel panics. She looks around. There's a bed, a table, and two chairs. It looks like a garage, or a construction site, or like a bunker. Her heart is racing, and the only thing she can think is that she cannot stay here with him. He cannot keep me here. She sees two long screws lying on a shelf. She grabs them, raises her hand, and screams like a hurt animal would. She's angry now, furious. Who the hell does he think he is? She moves towards him to attack him, but her body doesn't respond, and he can easily avoid the attack attempt by grabbing her hands. He says, don't do that again. And Isabel falls down on the bed, moving backwards to get as far away from him as possible. Then she starts screaming. She screams at the top of her lungs for help. This gets the poodle, Nelly scared, and she starts barking like crazy also. But the screaming doesn't affect Martin at all. He just stands there looking at them, almost amused by her panic. His amused expression finally makes Isabel stop screaming. Then he says, You can scream all you like. No one is ever going to hear you anyway. But if you try to escape again, I will chain you to the bed and give you nothing but bread and water. Of course, I'd have to unchain you when you need to use the bathroom, but then again, you didn't mind the diaper you wore on the way down here. And then he leaves. She hears clicking sounds as the door shuts. And then another door. Two doors? And then she hears another clicking sound. Three doors. She starts crying again. When she calmed down a bit, she starts exploring the place. Everything is covered with a thin layer of construction dust. The place is gray, and the walls are just plasterboards on concrete. The roof is out of corrugated steel, and Isabel gets up on the bed and slams her fist into the roof, but it doesn't move. There has to be concrete or something above it. She wonders where she is. Is she underground? Is she still in Stockholm? Still in Sweden? She realizes that she doesn't even know what day it is. How long was she out for? She starts thinking. She had made plans to have brunch with her friend Nathalie on Sunday, and she made plans to meet her police friend on Tuesday. He will probably start something when he can't get a hold of her. An investigation, maybe. But what day is it? Has anyone even noticed that Isabelle is gone yet? She starts exploring the place and realizes that there is another room besides the one she's in. It's not finished, and there are construction things lying around, but nothing that would be suitable as a weapon. There's also a shower under construction, but there's no plumbing attached to it yet, and there are two toilet seats that isn't connected either. Wait. Two. Why are there two toilets? She looks down on herself and realizes that she's wearing jeans and a shirt. But the last thing she remembers is them eating strawberries and then she was wearing the blue dress. She has no bra underneath her shirt and she's not wearing any underwear. This means that he must have taken off all her clothes while she was unconscious. What else did he do? Then she hears something, and he comes back into the bunker. He sits down and he hands her a paper and a pen, and he asks her to write down the food she likes, breakfast things and snacks and such. She cannot take this in. This is so unreal. Does her kidnapper want her to write a grocery list? He continues to tell her to write down a list of books she would like to read to make her time easier here. He says, I want you to enjoy life as much as possible when you're here. I will let you go eventually. She immediately asks him when he is going to release her. He answers, "Mm, In a couple of years or so. But before she can object to this, he adds, It's not my intention to hurt you in any way, Isabel. Isabel panics. How does he know her real name? She never uses her real name when she's working. He continues, I want you to have a nice time here, at my place. I think that if you, well, if you just give it a chance, you might start to like it, to like me. She's thinking to herself, how sick is this man? She realizes that he must have gone through all her belongings when she was unconscious. But how did he manage to get an unconscious woman moved without anyone noticing? Her thoughts are all over the place and he probably can tell that she's confused. He asks her then how much she remembers. She says that the only thing she remembers is them eating strawberries and that she got really, really tired. He then says, let's take one thing at a time. You are at my place. I built this with my own hands. The look on his face is disgustingly proud. He continues, it took me five years. I put a lot of time and money into this, Isabel. There has been people who have tried this before, you know, in America. But they made it too easy for the girls to escape. Here, he turns and points to the door. I have installed three doors with automatic locks. It's impossible to escape. When she doesn't say anything, he continues. Each of these doors weigh over 300 kilos. 300 kilos is about 660 pounds. He continues to tell her that the doors can only be unlocked with the right PIN code. And I am the only one who knows it, he says. Isabella just sits there, she's trying to take in everything she just heard. He had been planning this for five years. Then she looks over at her dog Nellie, who is nervously pacing around. She needs to go really bad, that's obvious. Before Isabella is able to do anything, Nellie pees on the floor. Martin then slowly says, That could become a big problem. Isabel gets terrified. What is he thinking? He cannot take Nellie away from her. She is the only thing that keeps her sane in here. She then asks him if they are underground. He starts laughing, as though she had said something very funny. And he answers that they are not underground. Somehow, Isabel gets relieved by this answer. But he quickly adds. Not that it matters. This place is completely soundproof. He adds that he has removed a few things that she might have used to attack him with. And she understands that he must have entered the room when she was sleeping. But how come she didn't wake up? Did he give her drugs again to make her unconscious? She says quietly, They will find me, you know. He says, And how exactly will they do that? She says, My mobile phone. There are satellites. My friends and family are going to notice that I'm missing, and they can track all that. He laughs a little and says, I took care of your phone. I turned it off so it couldn't be traced. And this thing about people, you are going to give me your password to Facebook, your email, and so on. But we'll come back to that. She then says, but somebody must have seen you when you were taking me away. Isabel's apartment is located in the middle of Stockholm, so I agree with her on that. But what Martin answers is chilling to the bone. You have to understand that I put a lot of thought into this, and I've been planning this for a long, long time. When we left your apartment, both you and me were wearing masks. Real Hollywood masks. We looked like an elderly couple. You were in the wheelchair, and I was your old husband helping you out to the car. When hearing this, she starts to cry slowly. She doesn't want to give him the satisfaction of a total breakdown, so she holds it back. But somehow, He seems to be affected by her tears, because he jumps to his feet, and he starts moving towards the door. Then he asks her if she's a good cook. She says that she's not. She mostly gets takeout. He then answers that now she has plenty of time to learn how to cook, and with that, he leaves her alone. This is where we are going to leave off for part one of this story. In part two, you are going to hear everything about Isabel's time in the bunker. You are going to hear parts of the interrogations with Martin and also the amazing story of Isabel's escape. Don't miss part two. It will be out really soon. I want to give a big thank you to the following people for supporting me on Patreon. Thank you so much to Ariel M., Denise B., JCR, and Cynthia C. You guys are amazing. Thank you so, so much. If you want to support the show on Patreon, head over to patreon.com slash Sweden. You will receive a sticker and a bookmark. And if you choose to support me on the highest level, you have the chance to win a real dollar horse. There are more ways to support the show. You can tell a friend. You can recommend True Crime Sweden on social media. Or you can write me a review on iTunes. And with that said, I want to thank the following people for giving me five-star reviews on iTunes. From Australia... Thank you to Liz Lucy and from the UK. Thank you to Only Me one hundred and Colin the Dog thirty one. And from Canada, thank you to PHGNOME. And last but not least, thank you to all the following reviewers from the US. Thank you, KANNJ ten thirteen. By B blue and yes it's spelled bye, be blue not baby blue by be blue and thank you to jeshotex thank you to really thank you to charlie thank you to mega flashypants2212 and thank you to Shanina 84 i'm really grateful that all of you took the time to write a review on itunes Your amazingly kind words mean so much to me. Thank you, guys. I'm not going to do a fun fact about Sweden now. That's going to be after the second part of this story. But I do want to ask you for something. I would be really grateful if you could email me questions because I'm planning to do a future Q&A episode. You can ask me anything, and I will try to answer your questions. Maybe you have some questions about previous episodes, or about Sweden, or about anything else. I don't know. Hit me with your best questions. You can email me your questions at truecrimesweden@gmail.com, at And please let me know if you don't want me to use your name in the podcast, and I won't. I'm also going to start a thread in the True Crime Sweden discussion group on Facebook in which you can write down your questions. I'll see you next time. Goodbye. Hey, Dora.